and we're just walking up the corridor harmlessly chatting and down from the opposite direction came an assistant matron as they were then (laughs) in cape with red bits on remember the red bits somehow and she said nurse (laughs) that is not the correct uniform or something like that you know yeah why haven't you got your hat on I thought I didn't swear or call her a cow or anything. I was just so nonplussed, I thought, I'm leaving. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. The weird thing about it is that I have my headphones on. That's all right. Hopefully you'll uh, forget about the microphone, but the the headphones are a bit more obvious. I'm kind of used to being in a room with somebody who's got headphones, so it's all right. Of course, yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's not bothering me well that's good that is, that is really good <laughs> it doesn't seem weird <laughs> it would have done a few years ago but it doesn't now so this kind of family season that's been happening for the last three weeks ends with today's episode with Sue who isn't technically a member of my family but She's somebody who is a friend of many, many members of this family. As I say in the conversation, there's a lot of Sue love from my family. My family, which has lots of different branches, lots of different sects almost within it. Everybody loves Sue. There was a few reasons to end with Sue. Partly it's because Sue is somebody who is friends with all three of the people you've heard running up to this and in fact all of these people once lived together right back at the start so Sue was friends with my mum and they lodged in a house and that house belonged to my dad and his first wife Sheila so all four of them started at one point in the same place and then obviously complications happened my dad left his first wife for my mother and all of those things and although all of that sounds very eastenders and i i like to make jokes about my family being a little bit like eastenders whilst you can have a family that's complicated and lots of complicated and dramatic events happen Life isn't like EastEnders. Sue knew all of the people involved and she is friends with all of those people. My dad and both of his wives found ways of interacting that moved things forward, that meant that they could have families and that they could be there for their children. And whilst I'm not saying that my family hasn't had moments of very dramatic EastEnders style rows and stuff, ultimately we remain together we grow together and find ways of of moving on and, and, and connecting with each other in different ways and that's really what this conversation that you're about to hear is about it's a conversation about communicating it's about listening to people and trying to understand where they come from but it's also about speaking out and taking responsibility for your own actions it's about both parts of a conversation, the give and the take, the listening and the speaking. And 
I felt like this is a really positive way of ending this kind of look at the generation before mine, the generation that formed me. So Sue is the person that can sum up a lot of what these conversations have been for me because they have been conversations and they have been quite powerful and moving conversations including this one with Sue and they have looked at sometimes hard things but they have done so in this safe format this conversation took place before Sheila had passed away which is why we talk about her in the present tense it happened just after the 19th of March 2012 when the Health and Social Care Act was passed by the government and a lot of this conversation also focuses on the NHS, uh, Sue's experience of working in it and, and opinions about where it's at. You can tell this happened a while ago because when I frame the questions about the NHS I talk about it being pretty much privatisation. These days, I would never claim it just to be pretty much privatisation. We clearly are in a situation where our NHS has been or is being privatised. Only recently, there's been talks about selling our blood to private companies. And generally, in the public sector, we live in a time when everything is being privatised. My student debt and the student debt of my entire generation, they're talking about selling that debt to private companies and having those private companies take it back from us at different rates than we agreed when we signed up for our debt. So really we are living in privatised times. The public sector is just an extension of a family. It's a community. It's us all looking after each other for the common good. And that's what families ideally are when they function best that is what they should be and that is what I believe societies should be when they function best and you have to question whether we are a functioning family whether we are a functioning society because increasingly we are not able to look out for each other because of the system that we have in place around us. Just seeing, really seeing what a difference it makes, improving how you communicate, how we all communicate, mm. especially how we, how we talk to our children and how we can learn to remember to listen to our children, to actually have conversations with them. Because it's it's astonishing, and there's you know there's evidence out there to to see how often adults talking to children either are giving commands or they're asking questions. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better. Better acquainted with you. Today, we're getting better acquainted with Sue. Hello, Sue. Hello. The first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? 
How do I know you? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you are the second son of a very old friend of mine who I met when I started nursing in 1966, <laughs> when she was 19 and I was 18, and we became friends and ended up sharing a flat together and on and off at that time kept in contact, but in more recent years have kept contact quite consistently. And say, your second son of June, my friend. Yeah, it's funny because <laughs> I've just been editing an episode of the show about my dad's heart attacks and his heart bypass, kind of compilation, it's all of the family at different points. Yeah. And your name came up a lot in the Did anecdotes. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. there was a lot of what I've been calling Sue Love uh, oh. in it because everybody was like, Sue, yeah, Sue, and everyone extolled your virtues at length. I thought, oh and I thought that'd be a, a slightly awkward thing to, to mm. say to you, but I also wanted to kind of let you know that y- oh. your name, your name's out there, and okay. it's very positive there what everyone was saying about you. Yeah, because you're in a weird position, I think, and it's an interesting thing because I don't want to talk too much about, um, you know, area. There are lots. There's some things I don't want to talk about mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. But one thing I thought was not, would be nice to talk a little bit about is that you you managed to remain friends and on good terms with lots of different people in a kind of, I guess, not a love triangle, but a complicated... So, you, you, you know, you, you're friends with my dad yeah. and his two ex-wives. Yeah. And you're friends with all of them. Yeah. And you've always, you know, and you, you have this capacity, and this is, I think, why everyone was giving the Sue love, love in, <laughs> is that you have this capacity to not judge people, I think. Would you think that's fair? I do, actually. I, th- I think it's very important in life to try not to judge, possibly because I've been in situations where I would prefer my friends not to judge me. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's important to see beyond how people have behaved or what they might have done wrong in the eyes of some individuals or done right or you know if you if you're friends with someone it's a very valuable thing and to be preserved if possible yeah sometimes friendships come to an end just through natural causes I suppose and sometimes friends do something which is not forgivable however usually if a friendship is a true and real friendship, it can last and it can weather many storms. <laughs> so, yeah, I try not to judge. And I am friends with, yeah, the parties. <laughs> all of the parties <laughs> concerned, yeah. Yes, and it was all a long, long time ago. And well, I think that, you know, the time maybe is the healing factor and the, which makes it easier to, for that to happen. But it's, I think, very awkward at the time. But I mean, I think it's an impressive thing to be, like, because I, I, I mean, I imagine that being in that position. Now, I mean, for example, I, I know that I have occasionally put you in a slightly awkward position in terms of sort of reaching out to you about my mum or whatever and saying, can you help me to communicate mm. something to her? And you're like, well, very reasonably, you sent me a beautifully written and absolutely spot on 
email saying, you know, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. She's my I? friend and I don't want to be involved. You know, and fair enough. And, you know, mm. it it meant I spoke to my mum straightforwardly and so, so we sorted that particular thing out. And well, then, I'm uh, you pleased know, to hear that. Yes. I didn't know that. So I mean, you know, I think, I think we did anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Time will tell. Mm. But, 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 I mean, and I, I thought when you send that, send that email back, I just thought, you know, that's how that that was for me a real insight. I thought, wow, that's how she manages to be friends with all of the the parties, mm-hmm. as you say, because I mean it shows kind of a real. I guess I don't want to say objectivity because I don't think that that's mm-hmm. a real word. No, that's not. Word. <laughs> it doesn't really yeah. exist. But you you do seem to have managed to, yeah, to to not to not to not take sides. And I imagine you would have been asked to take sides at times. I mean, I find sometimes I suppose, really but I think if you're if you're a friend, it it kind of doesn't come up because they don't put you in. Maybe, that position, maybe. I would deflect it, like as I did with you. Yeah, you were asking me something, and I thought I can't do this because this wouldn't be fair to my friend. Yeah, and that was really and nice. so I would. I guess that would be my instinctive response if anyone started to sort of slag someone off and I think yeah you, you know should we just go and have a drink or change the subject or think or actually say sometimes not very don't often need to because I'm a bit of a coward <laughs> say um I don't want to talk about that but that is a rare thing to actually have to say because you can just you talk yeah now. you can just move it on if yeah you're... there's other ways of moving it on or or listening but actually holding back with your own opinion Sometimes, yeah, I it's not loyalty because that sounds much. It's friendship, maybe. That sounds, yeah, it's friendship, which is quite different. Because I mean, I, I've been sort of thinking about this. Because I do, this. I really, really value my long-time friends. Yeah, there aren't that many in life, I think, who you know are really your friends, and no matter how rarely you see them, you know. You can always just pick up where you left off. Yeah, it's you magic. You know the feeling yeah, it when it's is. someone who really knows you. It's magic. And who you really know. And they see through or they you. Or even know, connect with. Yeah, and they see through you. So yes. like, they're kind of, when they sort of smile yes. and, and yeah. you go, you know, you know, and yeah. you get that idea that no matter where you're at in yeah. your life, you're not fooling them. You don't, you don't they, have they to. They know you. They, they, know they don't you. have to put up so with any kind of silliness. you might as well just, you know, there's yeah. no point putting on a facade yeah. or trying to be something and not. Because... Who's fooling anybody? You know, it just doesn't. It's not necessary. No, you're you're <laughs> right. I mean, and it's a funny because I, I I've been thinking about this uh, on and off recently. In that, you know, I'm a child of as you as we've already touched on of mm-hmm. a divorce. Yeah. And all my friends are getting married at the moment. Mm. I'm thirty, and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I know. Sorry, <laughs> but um. Yeah, I, and I think, well, they're, they're all getting married, but statistically, some of these lovely people who mm. are really in love, and I love mm. both both halves mm. of, of all of these relationships, and they're, they're having children, mm. some of them aren't going to make it. They're mm. going to split up. And uh, what happens when, you know, what, me and Jen often say, you know, well, all of our friends are mutual friends. If we did split up, how would we manage mm. to put not put them in that situation how would we manage mm. all of our friends to be mm. sues and uh, not take sides but mm. i don't know if i'm going to be if, if that happened i don't know if i would be um 
mature well, enough not to put somebody no, all that happens is you find out whether you, they are mutual friends or whether they are more one person's friend than the other. Oh God, I don't want to. I hope. hope you may never there find are many out. reasons I don't. There are many out. reasons I don't want to find out, but, but that's yeah. one of them, definitely. But there are sometimes. I mean, I don't know if you've experienced it, but certainly, I've had the opposite experience where you have a friend, who then becomes part of a couple, and you don't actually have a real relationship with the other part of the couple. Yeah, I've had so, that. So, and they may marry and they may have kids and it may go on for years and you see both parties yeah but actually you never feel a real connection with one of them no that's true you do still with your original friend i've got some of that but okay. i mean friendships so friendships are very strange as well sometimes you you have, have you had the experience i'm sure you have but of, of you know you didn't realize someone was as good a friend as and then Absolutely. suddenly wow suddenly yes. it's all turned Absolutely. you know Turns on a sixpence and you just... I've been experiencing a bit of that recently, where, you know, when things are a bit tough and people who you thought maybe you didn't know that well, but they're really showing themselves to be really good and kind and caring friends. I'm really pleased to hear that. That's really good. But the other thing that can happen, which I have had happen, is that a very, very dear girlfriend of mine... um, met and eventually well quite quickly lived with had a child with and then after 10 years to celebrate married um a man who i i really didn't feel any connection with for many many years and i have a feeling because she and i had known each other as single women with young children mm. i think he was a bit worried about my, me or my influence <laughs> or the things we'd got up to together yeah. or whatever however now many many years down the line he is a dear friend and I'm really fond of him and I think it's mutual so you know <laughs> yeah. that can also happen yeah so I think friendship is eternally it's interesting a... and um it, it's an optimistic thing it's a very necessary thing to a happy life oh that's your friends are the most important thing in life, I think. No, I, I think I agree. I think I agree with that. There's a, so they your, need looking after. Your cat is also somewhere making some sounds, but that's okay. Because I like the... Uh, is she outside the door? There she is. There you go. Because I have this weird... Because I've got the headphones on, I can actually hear better. <laughs> I was like, it's like having a Spider-Man hearing. You can hear much further away. No, that'll make her happy. So, yeah, so we, we have yeah. a, a guest, another guest on the show today. <laughs> And the other question that I ask people mm. is, what do you do now? It's, a, oh, not, a, it's not a fun question, but it's a, well, <laughs> it is what it is. What I do now is a happy thing to me because I'm in the process of saying goodbye to my working life, my paid working life. <laughs> and I'm really enjoying living in a new part of the country I've only been up here for two and a half years yeah it hasn't been long because the, the, the time you've been here I haven't been up no so, so and I'm a, I'm a southerner born and bred and I decided to move up to Newcastle three years ago and actually moved two and a half years ago and I love it so that's what I'm doing now I'm living 
near Newcastle by the seaside and I'm bidding farewell to my work life in the NHS <laughs> which has gone on for many 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 years <laughs> yeah that's a good position to be in I mean and you're and you're I guess is it is it over, it's just outside that window over the over the other side is that where the garden that everyone keeps talking about is? it is yes I I live um, just yards from the metro station and from the metro station down to opposite my house there's a strip of land which has been derelict for I think about 20 years it was previously rented in sections to householders for growing vegetables so sort of little allotmenty but it's you know smaller than much smaller than allotments yeah um, then it became derelict and the story is that the owners of the land actually came along and bulldozed the plots and the plants and the pond and all the th- lovely things which were over there because they thought they could sell the land for building. Then they discovered that they couldn't, that their planning application failed because of the lack of access to the plot. And since then, it has just sat there and deteriorated. Although there are lovely reminders of what used to go on because we've got some very prolific gooseberry bushes and Mm. raspberry canes and things like that. So although nobody's looked after it for years, the land is still giving us fruit. Nice. Um, And when I moved here, I noticed this land opposite the house and thought, well, I'm going to find a way in there and I'm going to start growing some vegetables or something. You know, mm. there must be a way. I might need some wire cutters, but I'm sure I can, <laughs> I'm sure I can get in there. Anyway, I discovered a nearish neighbour had been doing just that. She'd been over there growing stuff for the last seven or eight years. <laughs> and uh, so I joined in. And I didn't need wire cutters because there's an almost invisible gate which allows you to go in, which at that time, when I first came, was padlocked, and my friend, my neighbour, gave me a key, but it's now left open, because since then, this strip of land has become a potential community garden. And that came about because of some clearance which went on. Um, There was a lot of scrub and brushes and things which had grown up, and the patch near the station was being used for sort of fairly antisocial activities particularly alcohol drugs and possibly sex but the the land was cleared in a day and they left behind this raised bare wilderness and of course the people who actually look out on that section were <gasps> horrified because it looked Dreadful. I mean, it just looked like there was a war on. Yeah. It was horrible. All these lovely greenery was gone, and it was just earth and stubby, you know, stalks. And so, um, the police actually were instrumental in calling a meeting. The community police and the owners of the land, who are the railway company, called a public meeting to say, "Well, what would you like to do?" And that was held in May 2010. So it's nearly two years. 
And in that two years, a committee has formed and we've made plans and we've applied for monies and we're at the point of receiving a grant <laughs> to develop um, what is called the Station Masters Community Wildlife Garden. That's a nice name. Because the bit by the by the station, we discovered, used to be the Station Masters Garden, where all the flowers for the North East Region Railway were grown. Oh, that's good. That's nice. So we thought we'd keep the Station Masters <laughs> Garden bit, because that seemed lovely. Um, if there were more money available, we'd like to restore the greenhouse, the remnants of which are lurking up there. <laughs> But that's that's for another day because yeah. we can't afford it. But it's all. But as I say, that in, you know, so we will hopefully have raised beds and grow vegetables and fruit and flowers up in that that top bit, which used to be the station master's garden, and then the remainder of the strip down to the end will be more for promoting biodiversity, encouraging the wildlife. Oh, nice bees, birds. We have slow worms. That's right. Which have caused a lot of hassle. <laughs> but, yeah, bless them. Um, uh, we're, we're, we're hoping to invite maybe one or two local beekeepers to have a hive or two over there. Oh, nice. And so we're going to do honey them. and it's good for yeah. the flowers. It's and they're, say, we've, some of the people who live locally remember the allotment days or the you know garden plot days. Apparently there was a beautiful pond. So we're hoping to recreate the pond area nice. as a wildlife pond so no doubt there are frogs around and so they'll be happy and I'm sure there'll be newts because when you have a pond things move in as yeah. I've discovered when I've had ponds in, That's right. in my gardens in be- the past because you I mean you had a you had a, rib, a stream didn't you in yes. one of them yes. in one of your because I, I, I spent many lovely uh, days I think <laughs> I guess in, 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 in your houses when growing up Oh, in fact, I, I remember the only slow worms I've really seen were the, the slow worms you had in your compost heap mm. in that house that had a, that yeah. stream. That's right. And they were amazing. They are. Amazing they're creatures, aren't things. they? And they're, they're, like, they're, they're metallic like, almost and to look at. It's reverse evolution, isn't it? They've gone from being lizards to... They, I think that's how it is. Mm. They're, they're not snakes, but no. they look like snakes. They look like, yes, little bronzy, silvery snaky things they've got a snake like tongue yeah and they feel like snakes and they, they've got yes they're very smooth and... but they are metallic they shine in the light they're beautiful yeah. things but they are you know classified as legless lizards that's right and they're protected <laughs> in the country you're not allowed to harm them or sell them or you know or knowingly kill them you must tr- attempt to look after them which we are doing Yes, at <laughs> <a> great expense. <laughs> so yeah. Well, that's lovely. so. That's the yes. That's the story of the garden. Well, that's really nice, and it's really a new beginning for that strip of land. And hopefully, it'll involve lots of people who live just close by and encourage kids to grow things and enjoy yeah. the wildlife and notice wildlife, butterflies and bees and ladybirds and all the rest of it. Because I guess because um, you you lived a lot of your life in uh, the West Country, mm-hmm. and now you're very far away from the I West am. Country. Yes, I mean, is it like? <laughs> I mean, I I don't I, I didn't pay much attention in the car on the way here, so I don't really know what the area is like. Mm. But I mean, 
is is the kind of community garden bringing something of that kind of countrysidey feel that you maybe live down in the west country is that kind of trying to bring a bit of that up here or is that just maybe, too too novelistic maybe. of them, to just kind of create a narrative maybe about your not stuff? quite I hadn't thought of it quite that yeah, way. Yeah, it sounds a bit like humbug However, to me now I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> uh, but the houses in this area were built in the Victorian era and most of them have a backyard. So there is outdoor space and some of them are divided into flats as well. So there are quite a few people around, although there are trees and, you know, there's quite a bit of greenery about. We're near the sea as well, aren't you? And so we're near the sea, bad. which is fabulous. Yeah. But a lot of people don't have much outdoor space in which to grow things and certainly not in which to grow food. And that is a major interest of, of you know, of doing the garden. We yeah. want to encourage people to have a go at yeah. growing food, I mean, how will fruits it work? and vegetables. And how, how does it work? So, you know, the community garden produce, mm. how does it work? Can it, can, people can't just wander in and pick any carrots that they want we no we won't encourage that <laughs> <laughs> but we don't want it to be the same as allotments so we don't want people to sort of take ownership of a plot mm. and grow their food and take their food what we we kind of described is in the in the growing area we'll have demonstration beds and Different people from the community can use those beds, so they might decide to demonstrate growing salad vegetables or growing beans or different varieties of peas or or flowers, edible flowers yeah. or fruits, and encouraging and demonstrating to people how easy it is to do it, really. And also growing things in containers in boxes so that people in their backyards will be enthused and then maybe have a go at home as well. Think, oh, I could do that in my yard, you know. I've yeah. got room for a tub. Yeah. Maybe I'll try growing some spuds or maybe I'll grow a, a fruit bush or some blueberries or something. That yeah. Rage, I mean, I've had friends in flats in London yeah. who've grown yeah. tomatoes in the, yeah. uh, on their verandas or yeah. whatever, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think until you've tried it, until some, you know, you've actually got your fingers in the earth and had a go, it seems a bit daunting if you've no experience of gardens and never grown up with a garden, haven't got parents who garden. Mm. It's actually having a chance to just come and try it and seeing it's quite good fun and then taking it the next step. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's a really nice way. I, I like the idea of the demonstration parts and then, mm. the, you know, and then this kind of communal parts. Mm. And, yeah, that's really nice. And it's also a place for people to get together and get to know each other, you know, the whole community thing. And it really has... I mean, I've got to know the neighbours through this project mm. as a new person. So it's great because people talk to each other about it. Yeah. And they gather. And we already had sort of events going on. We had a, There was a Halloween do. Nice. So there were lanterns out there and the kids dressed up. And a bit of a competition for them, you know, dressing up. So, yes, when there are occasions to be celebrated, then we can... Go over there. Have an event in the garden. And of course, gardens kind of create their own events as well. Because, yes, they do. I mean, I remember my sister Jo's got a little allotment and uh, they had a kind of bonfire because when they had to burn everything, there was a bonfire. Yeah. I think we had a bonfire at the allotment yeah. and it was, you know, just the family yeah. in that case, but it was really nice. But yeah. it's lovely. And we had some dead um, elm trees on the plot which had to come down because they were leaning dangerously and could have gone, you know, in the next gale. 
and that's provided quite a few of us with logs through the winter. Okay, that's good. So we've we've shared the logs, which came as a result of those trees coming down. Well, that's and really that sort good. Of thing. Just unofficially, you know, just yeah, that we have, and nobody's taken advantage of it. Well, that's really so it's good. A, you know, it's a good thing. That's great. I like that really. I, nice well, I understand why everybody's been telling me to talk thing. to you about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's been like everybody I've, um, everybody I've, because I, when I was coming down, I, I spoke to my mum and mm. said I was coming down, and then I re- sort of had a double step when we were talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yes, Sue lives in, in Newcastle yeah. too, because yeah, I've yeah, come yeah, to stay absolutely. with my, my brother. And, uh, to see his play at his school. Mum said, you know, talk to her about her garden. Yeah. And then Dad said, talk to her about her garden. <laughs> and Tony and Karen, I said, you must talk to her about her garden. And when yeah. I got out of the car on the way yeah. into your house, Tony said, talk to her about her allotment. <laughs> was, so there you go. That, but it's, very, it's, it's obviously a, very a popular idea thing. in the family. And, and I don't know whether I believe in or whether you believe in the sort of this whole idea that positive thinking and visualising events or or things help things to materialize because say when i first came to this house i said i'm going to grow things over there and there was no possibility it was illegal you know that's right I mean. <laughs> yeah. it was a gorilla the gorilla garden the gorilla is what garden, i had yeah. in mind and in fact you know we my friend and i call our gooseberries gorilla gooseberries <laughs> but we have to stop doing that now because it's official yeah which is a bit sad in a funny kind of way, but it's interesting how in two years it's gone from I'm going to, to this whole community project happening. Ideas can do that, they can it's take a off. Big, you know, a little idea yeah. has grown and grown and grown and been shared with other people's little ideas and we've got this rather healthy project going on. And I, I guess now it's got its own momentum it as well. It certainly has. I mean, that's very much kind of been my experience with yeah. this with this project yeah. that we're doing now yeah. and it's kind of taken on its own momentum exactly. and I don't know where it's exactly. going and it was just a little idea mm. before we started recording mm. we were chatting as I tend to do with people before I start recording mm. and you started to say something about your experiences in was it in education or you said maybe that's best left for when we start recording mm-hmm. and Unfortunately, the show has this format where I have to ask these other questions at the beginning, mm-hmm. so I couldn't follow up on it straight away. So hopefully, you haven't forgotten. Parent education. Parent education. Okay. We, yes, I remember. We were talking about. <laughs> we had been discussing this tendency that I guess we all have to some extent of when something goes wrong, making a statement to another person who's involved about what they have done. So. The you, yes. you know, this is because you did such and such, or you didn't. I'm definitely going to hold up my hand and say, yeah. this is a tendency this I is, have. You know, <laughs> if you hadn't, that would never have happened, and I would never have. Yeah. That kind of scenario. Yeah. And I was saying how important I think it is to learn how to take ownership of problems and things that go wrong in in saying how how something makes you feel yourself so saying I really feel you know I I want to describe this situation so I'm describing it from my point of view 
not something which you have made happen. Right. So, I mean, it's not, this isn't something I've made up or invented or created or discovered. It's, it's been documented before, but it's something I find really useful personally, yeah. Yeah. which I try to use, and it's, it's a much more constructive way of approaching a, a conflict situation yeah. with someone else. Because you don't immediately set up the defensive response in in the other person. If you go into a conversation saying you shouldn't yeah. have, yeah, that immediately. I mean, they immediately got the defense. Yeah, up. I mean, you're just doing this as an example, yeah. but just the act of pointing and at me and looking at me out, yeah. makes me, you know, yeah. instinctual reaction yes. back up. Yeah, I didn't, absolutely. and so the immediate response is to deny. Whereas if you can, it's it's not training, but if you can sort of work out a way of saying the same thing, but giving <laughs> it as a message from how you're feeling, how, say, I'm feeling shit because, you know, I don't feel like I'm any good or I feel like I've done a really bad job about this. Right, um, rather than you... You're can making you, me feel you explain bad, to me? I am feeling Can bad, you explain yeah. to me how this could have been differently done or what I could have done differently? Then someone is going to be far less inclined to deny and defend themselves and much more open to having a conversation about yeah, the problem. that's nice. That's true. And I learned it through parenting education classes with parents of young children. So were you running those classes? Yeah. But it just came up as as part of discussion about how to talk to children and how to listen to children. But actually, take out children because it applies generally very Mm. much in, in how to converse, how to have a conversation, how to discuss a difficult issue. If you don't immediately make somebody's defences come up at the beginning of a conversation that's got to be a good thing mm. the conversation is likely to last longer yes. and go further yeah. and maybe and maybe you'll both listen to each out, other yeah, yeah. listen to each other and both have the chance to reach some sort of solution to whatever the problem was in the first place Yeah. so uh, it's something I since I learned that I try and do it and it doesn't come naturally. That's the odd thing. <laughs> the, the natural thing we seem to have as humans is to accuse, which is a bit of a shame. Makes it difficult. Well, I mean, that's... You a, have to it... learn to do it. It's like undo the habit of blaming and take on the personal responsibility of how you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so it's I a mean, funny it, thing. Well, it's a funny... Th- yeah, I mean, it, it, it... And, I mean... You can probably kind of expand from that as well that that one of the things that I do in these conversations is probably fall into that trap too often. And I think this is something that Carl James, who's a guy who I spoke to who does who who who's art he does conversations for a living. He does a, a project called the Dialogue Project. Mm. Basically the idea is to to, to explore difference mm. through dialogue. Mm-hmm. And 
one of the things he sort of brings me up on is that I don't, you know, I, I try and universalise a little bit too much. I try and say, we, I, I mean, that's the way I try and deal with it, mm-hmm. is I go, we, we let's mm-hmm. see where we're the same. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, maybe you should say, well, I am this, mm-hmm. and what are you, mm-hmm. you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and then, then we can yeah. explore the difference in between, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and and I, I definitely think it's something that, yeah. that I, I mean, I, maybe I, Maybe I even did it earlier in the conversation. I, I think I said, you moved to, <laughs> you moved up here and you took... Well, you are relaxed. You're, 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 I mean, yeah, I know. It's not that you could never use the word you. That would be start, terrible, wouldn't it? But it would if be that's terrible. How, if that's what people take away, <laughs> I must not use the word you. And they yeah, around their lives trying not to use the word. It does happen in conversation. But, of course it does. But it's just when you're, when you're <laughs> arguing, I guess... Yeah. In an argument situation, which can escalate very quickly, as you and I both know, yeah. you know, if you if you have the self control to avoid the accusatory you statement yeah. and go at it from that other angle, that I'm feeling this way, yeah, you know, actually, that's how about you know what do you. What do you think? Well, that's actually that's and that's it's, really it's useful. I found it really useful. It, it, it does sound useful. I'm and definitely going to try and do it. <laughs> but I, I think in in health visiting, which is what I've done, as you know, for yeah. many many years, one of the things that's given me most satisfaction with those parenting classes with parents of children, sort of naught to six, just seeing, really seeing what a difference it makes improving how you communicate how we all communicate mm. especially how we how we talk to our children and how we can learn to remember to listen to our children to actually have conversations with them because it's it's astonishing and there's you know there's evidence out there to to see how often adults talking to children either are giving commands, or they're asking questions. I've yeah. I've, um, there's, there's, I've I've studied some of this and, stuff and as part of my job as well. And to have a dialogue yeah. with a child, where you are giving and you are taking, and the child therefore has the opportunity to do the same, is something I think that doesn't come naturally to an awful lot of us, and so we have to learn to do that. No, and, and in doing that, right. it makes a huge difference to relationships between parents and their kids and kids and their parents and the openness that can exist between them and as a parent I mean I wish I'd been much more aware of that when I first had a child because I wasn't no and I fell into all those sort of those I mean I think I probably commanded an awful lot of the time and the whole thing about asking questions it seems to come automatically when you see a child doing something what are you doing? Saying, what are you yeah. doing? Rather than, oh, I see you're drawing a picture. That looks like a tree. You know, is that a tree? You don't have to ask them a question. You know it's a tree. But you'll say, oh, wait, is that a tree you're drawing? Well, why ask? Just say. And say, I saw a nice tree when I was coming here today. It's actually opening up some sort of dialogue. We're really not very good at at having dialogue together with younger people, with young, well, well, maybe especially not, very young kids. Maybe not. I mean, not with anyone. I mean, it, it, that's. I mean, and what? That's interesting. It's really interesting to hear you say this. I mean, because it is is very much like 
my conversation that I had with Carl James, who does this as a living kind mm-hmm. of thing. And what he calls, di- he calls a, di- a dialogue, he says it's a co-created conversation. Yeah. So you're both making that conversation. Exactly, yeah. And it's a really nice idea to, to apply that to l- children. Yeah. And I think, I mean, and that's what, and actually it, the most fun you can have mm-hmm. with a child under five is to engage them in conversation mm-hmm. rather than instruction. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I really enjoy those moments in mm-hmm. my job where I get to sit down with a kid mm-hmm. and just, you know, mm-hmm. find out what they think. Mm-hmm. And uh, exactly. it's, it's, it's really mm-hmm. unfiltered and strange mm-hmm. when they're, when they're under know, five and that's great. But the thing is, I think it's something we know, but, but, but we forget. And somehow we've got this automatic question thing switch which goes on. And, you, I mean, if you have anything to do with children, you know that as soon as you say that, oh, have you had a nice time at playgroup, school, whatever, today, what did you do? Well, mm. they can't answer that question, can't remember, don't know. What did you have for lunch? Dunno, can't remember. Did you do such and such? Dunno, can't remember. And you get nowhere. Whereas if you actually have a conversation and there's a rhythm to it and there's a give yeah. and a take and a listening time, speaking time, then they'll tell you all sorts of things. It's just, I mean that is that is re- <laughs> that really that's really the same as I mean so often when 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 me and Jen get in from work, uh-huh. say how was your day at work? Yeah, yeah. And then neither of us got anything to say. You don't know what to say because what? Where do you start? <laughs> like Jen always says, it's, it was the day at work. It was boring. <laughs> yeah. And then later on, yeah. we'll be having a fascinating conversation yeah. about something that happened exactly. during her day at work. Uh-huh. But it kind of happened organically. Yes. Didn't force it. Yeah, yeah you're right. My instinct is always to try and force it, and then maybe something interesting will happen. But there, there is something done, to that too. I think but... that's the thing. It, it's always done with with the best intentions. Yes, but, yes. I mean, <laughs> we do it because we we want to talk to the children. We want to know what they've been doing, yeah. but we go about it in such a way as to stop them telling yeah. us. Sometimes, oh, God, that's, that's so very it's, true. It's fascinating that the <laughs> the small changes you can make in how you approach things verbally. Yeah, and the huge difference. That it makes to the end result to the to the actual content of relationships and, and context is all is all as well. I mean, you're very you're you're right to say that you know the you thing is specific in a way to uh, anger, like mm-hmm. when you're in an argument. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when I say the you thing in this mm-hmm. context in this show, mm-hmm. I've actually started to find that what happens is if if I say something preposterous about somebody mm. with a you mm. it provokes a really interesting response because they say <laughs> no absolutely you're wrong you know that no no not at all and then but oh, their wow. response because they have to kind of come yes. from this weird yeah. angle that was yeah. not something within their head actually yeah. sometimes that's really interesting yeah. i've started to sometimes think what my purpose as a conversation you know in the oh, conversation wow. is just to say, keep saying things that are wrong and mm. being told why i'm wrong and actually mm. that's great mm. that's a that's why I want to know. I think what's what's often been said to me by by people, sort of who are presented with this possibility that, of trying to say things in a different way, that it's not natural, mm. that it's something artificial. Mm. So therefore, it's going to be bad. This mm. can't be. This isn't me. You know, people. The response comes back. Well, yeah, that's all very well, but it's not me. Do you know? Do you know? But, you know, if you don't try something new. It'll never be you, will it? Well, that is the, you know, that's the kind of cliched um, idea that you, you get in writing a lot of the time. 
young writers or insecure writers or whatever mm. will say I can't change the way I write mm. it's not me mm. I can't Im- I, that's me mm. I can't change it mm. and actually you can you can, you can. and actually that's the process of changing it means that you're communicating better with exactly. the person people and you want to communicate with it's an expansive thing it's about expanding your repertoire in a way mm. of, of all the, the possibilities you have of, of different ways to communicate I mean, if you just say, no, that's me, it narrows things right down. It yeah. means, that's me, that's me, that's me forever. You're reducing I'm never who you change. are. Yeah, but actually, try something different. Try doing something another way. You may surprise yourself and, and think, oh, actually, this really suits me. That's, this is yeah, me. This is me, actually. Is I me. thought that was I, me. I can, yeah. Yes, this is me as well. You know, yeah, I can be this exactly. and I can be this. So it's, it's, yeah, it's all about expanding and growing as a person yeah well that's great I mean yeah that's a really uh, interesting thing Mm -hmm. to think about so you've been for a lot of your life as a health visitor that's that's the right term yes it is (laughs) (laughs) why it's a big question but why did you become a health visitor that's a very very good question (laughs) (laughs) especially looking looking at it from where I am now I became a health visitor because although I really enjoyed nursing, I liked uh, the experiences I had as a student nurse. It was exciting, it was fun, it was interesting. I liked the work on the wards. I liked the drama of it. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't stand the petty rules and the hierarchy of it <laughs> and you know one I think when I decided to leave hospital it was it was really was I can I still have a picture in my mind of walking down the corridor at the hospital after a night shift with two other people can't remember who they were but there were three of us and I think I had taken my hat off because we all had to wear those Hats. cloth yeah, hat yeah, yeah. things I'd taken that off because it was falling off, you know, grips which held it on had come adrift. So I think I was carrying that in my hand and <laughs> was really looking forward to going home, having something to eat and going to sleep. And we're just walking up the corridor, harmlessly chatting. And down from the opposite direction came an assistant matron, as they were then, <laughs> in cape with red bits on. Remember the red bits somehow. And she said, Nurse! <laughs> that is not the correct uniform, or something like that, you know. Yeah. Why haven't you got your hat on? I thought, I didn't swear or call her a cow or anything. I was just so nonplussed, I thought, I'm leaving. Wow. Because I'd just done a night shift and, yeah. you know, there had been sort of cardiac arrest involved. It had been a, a very hectic night and I was very young. I was just qualified, I think, so I was 21. Yeah, that is young. And I thought we'd done a good job. The night had passed and we were alive and so were the patients. And I was going home for food and sleep. And that was great. And then this stupid person came and waved this authoritarian cloak at me <laughs> about not having a hat on. And I thought, this is ridiculous. 
So that was the trigger that made me think I don't want to work in a hospital anymore. Wow. You can um, actually, I mean, it's, it's very impressive that you can that was narrow it down to moment. a moment. It yeah. was one of those moments, I, probably because I was so tired and yeah. it was just, you know, everything goes into a funny slow motion funny thing. world yeah, of yeah. sort of ugh, half world it was one of those I was ex- you know it was absolutely tired out anyway so I did follow that through eventually and I left and I went I, I still wanted to do I was very um, committed to health and nursing and stuff looking after people whatever I didn't know what it was but I decided that I would work in the community so I would actually meet people in their own homes on their own terms um, where they hadn't been kind of stripped of identity and plonked in a bed and you know I wanted mm. the whole person mm. to, to see the whole person and and to work with people in their own environment I guess and I, had, I think I had very high aspirations to make the health of the nation better <laughs> Um, very high ideals still and I thought you know you gotta if you're gonna talk about it if you're gonna change things you've got to be in there and do it from within which I believed for most of my career which is why I stayed so long battling away trying to change <laughs> things from the inside <laughs> and uh well, to, with some success, little, small, tiny successes at, at times, but it's a hell of a struggle. So. And do you, you don't believe it now? I find it harder to believe it now, because the, I, the, the sort of the. It's almost as if. The 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 entity of the NHS has become so hidebound with rules, regulations, reorganisations, uh, policies, and so on that it's become. A, I mean, it's always been a huge and fairly unwieldy thing. Yeah. But it's in. I think it's out of control, and I I don't see how it can be brought back. Right. It kind of feels like it needs to be disassembled and let's start again. And I don't really think that's a, a realistic prospect. That's a that's a pipe dream it's in a, a way. It's also a, a, a punk slogan, really. There was rip it up and start again. Yes, the, exactly. It was the, and it, I don't know if it if it if it if, if you can do that. Yeah, how it's just a bit with a society. Yeah, with a yeah. part of a society, mm. it's harder mm. to see, isn't it? Yes. And you I can mean, do it with a bit of years, music. I've thought many times, let's rip it up and start again. But now, I suppose, I haven't got, I haven't got the same energy or vision yeah. that I had back along. Well, part of the problem, I think, is, you know, the more... Because we were talking... There was a whole group of us in this room earlier on, and mm-hmm. we were talking very much about how rules and regulations have interfered with public mm. services. The sort of way that maybe the the big problem is that there are no right answers, and there are and everything is a grey area. But mm-hmm. but none of the systems that that exist in the public sector accept that. Maybe not even mm. in the private sector. Maybe the whole culture mm. doesn't accept. Mm. It. I don't know. And. 
I think the more you recognise that there are no right or wrong answers, it makes it really hard to change things because mm. you don't you, you you're not certain about your own opinion. Mm. So you don't want you can't. How can you t- how like you know? Do you think that you could if you were give if you were put in charge of the N- NHS? Yeah. Do you think you would? What, how would you think? I mean, do you think you could solve it? Do you think you could? How do you solve a problem like the NHS? No, I, d- I, d- I don't. I wouldn't. I don't think I could. No. But the thing that. I think one of the reasons I personally feel differently now, mm-hmm. having been committed to what I what I've done as my profession for many years, is the the feeling of um, helplessness in a way. When I went into health visiting, it was quite an autonomous um, profession, so I had a, a lot of freedom. Um, you know, did the training, learned how to do the job, or began to learn how to do the job. But having got a, a post, been given a, a patch or a, a caseload, whatever you like to call it, you know, it was my job to assess that area and that caseload to see what was needed, what they wanted, and how I could best implement better, you know, changes for better health for them and their kids. And I would just sort of run it by my manager and say, look, I've thought of this and I've spoken to so-and-so and and this this person and that person. They would like to do this. They would like to, say, have a a women's health group. That's one thing I did way back in the, you know, dim distance, not long after the arc. (laughs) And and people don't think it happened back then because there was no statute, there was no guideline or, or anything to say it should happen. But if you were working in an area and you'd made your own assessment of what was needed along with your clients and with other workers in the area, you were free to implement it. Yeah. That can't happen now. It's not possible. It's mm. not allowed. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. It's absolutely not allowed. It would be, you know, you'd get the sack probably. You just couldn't do it because it would have to be ratified by Primary Care Trust. It would have to be... You know, everything would have to be risk assessed, yeah. ethically assessed. Um, not that we did anything unethical. I mean, we, we, you know, we we went in and did the job that we knew needed doing with some good results. It, it's just hidebound now by rules, regulations and protocol. And I find that very hard to get my head around, really. Oh yeah, I mean, I can understand why. Having had so much freedom. It, yeah, I, I often think it must be hardest for for people who have mm. had that that change of culture mm. very alive to them. Mm. I uh, I interviewed my ex boss who worked in libraries, and in her, her leaving speech, she kind of talked about how at times she had had all of this ability to do things. Mm-hmm. Mm. And she, you know, when I heard about hearing that was very painful for me because I thought, well, mm. that's not really an option so much at this moment no, in time not. to try try out new things and mm. to try schemes and to to have that freedom, mm. freedom to fail maybe. Exactly. So what you just said that it's the trying out actually practically with a particular group of people who you know are on side because you've asked them what they want, mm. what they need. How that you know, and it it was very much sort of bottom up, you know. I suppose 
people will call it left wing way of working. They might do. They might do. But um, <laughs> it was a very, to me, it was a good way of working and it was a, it was satisfying because you knew you were doing your best. Okay, you didn't have all the answers and, and the results were not, you know, you didn't change the world. No. But you changed a little bit of the world for some people, enough for them to feel a wee bit better about their circumstances. And, they, you know, these particular people in the women's health group I set up with a social work colleague, you know, so we were joint working, although it didn't exist at the time. Yeah. Um, it did make a difference. And we talked about women and alcohol and we talked about domestic violence and we talked about arts and crafts. Um, you know, and we got to know each other and we got they got to know each other. We got to know them, they got to know us. And we worked together very well and that lasted for a fair time. And it made, it did, there were some changes made. You know, they said what they would like to happen on the estate. And as professionals, we help them put letters together to the right people at the council. So people were doing it for themselves with our help. We mm. were not imposing anything on them. We were hopefully enabling them to say what they needed to say to the right people and get changes made on their estate. Well, I mean, in, and that's, and in a way, that's... I mean, I think that that should work kind of right wing left wing shouldn't matter should because do. that's shouldn't taking personal responsibility and all of mm. the things that the right mm. talk about as much mm. as anything else mm. but um so i how do you feel about the pressures now on the nhs though like because you're 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 i i i have a lot of sympathy with what you're saying about the nhs Mm. And I think that one can expand that across all of the public sector. Mm. The public sector is now facing severe cuts and a kind of a... I would classify it as a kind of full frontal attack by the current government mm. to sort of make things at least a step towards privatised, mm -hmm. if not fully privatised. It's a step towards it. Mm. How Not do you a large feel? Step towards it. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about? How do you feel about that? Yeah, but dusk has happened while we've been talking, hasn't it? Put a light put on. Put a light on. Just put a light on. It's getting very dark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you did that. I didn't. I didn't want. It, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> I've lost the track now. There you are. It's nice to see you again. Um, <laughs> right, so yeah, I mean, what I was asking really was how do you feel about, like, because you, 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 there are lots of criticisms you have of the way the NHS is. Mm -hmm. Should we fight for it? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really important that we fight for it. The alternative is just, Oh, it doesn't. Oh, well, I find it hard to think about the. You know, <laughs> yes. The NHS has lots wrong with it. It's never been perfect, but it horrifies me to see it being dismantled, and especially this sort of. Yeah. I just fear for its survival, but it's not the first time I've feared for its survival. So I'm hoping, despite <laughs> all the odds, it will survive. I mean the the you know the bills through Parliament now, well what's left of it, 
but the thing is I've, I've yet to find anyone who understands what it actually means mm. it's so vague and I, I mean though I haven't read it I gather it's pretty unreadable yeah that's all the what people keep saying things that have been made to it hundreds of amendments I mean it's no longer what it started out as but what is it nobody seems no, to know what is. it is I don't know what it is but I'm fearful that it's going to dismantle the NHS. Um, changing the subject slightly, I suppose, one of my biggest concerns is that people working in the NHS seem to have a fear of speaking out these days. Mm. I think there may be a turn in the tide in that people are being encouraged again to speak out. But... I kind of when I went into the NHS there was never any question it was not it was not a dangerous thing to do to speak out hmm. and now I mean I kind of encourage people to say well you know if that's how you feel say to go and tell the manager can't do that people are fearful for their jobs because of cuts yeah they think if they get a reputation for being a you know a stirrer mm then maybe they might be one of the first to go. I'm not convinced this is true, but it's what people fear. Definitely. And I think you could expand that over a, a, uh, or probably a lot of the other public yeah. services as well. But that I think that in itself creates waves right across the whole service. Do you have in your contract as a health visitor a kind of stipulation that you cannot say anything bad about the health service? No, in a public. Is a, as a. I don't think so. As um, a council worker, I have a. I have, I'm not supposed to say anything, not even in private conversation. Uh-huh. I believe, uh, negative about Enfield uh, Council. So of course, I I never would. No, um, but uh, but. Mm. It's a very strange that I think things like that make people yeah. afraid to speak out. They do you know? indeed. I mean, I, I I I'm certainly sometimes afraid on this show mm. to speak out, and mm. so I mean, I, well, you I, would I be yeah with that, with that in my clause. Account, yeah. But the thing, I suppose, as a a nurse, I mean, there are rules and professional requirements which supersede all that, because as a as a nurse, you are required to act in the best interests of your patient. That's a great, at all times. That's a great responsibility. At all way. times, which really does supersede anyone trying to shut you up, because that's your that's that's who you are. That's your profession. Can you your, say? Can you say no to a doctor? Yeah, no? of course you can. Okay, good. I like it. I well, like I it. can, <laughs> but yeah. I don't know if others would be fearful to do it. I mean, if if I I would have well, you have to. That's the point. If if you fear that something is yeah. going to happen, which is detrimental or dangerous, but detrimental in any way to a patient, you and you're being asked to take part in it, you have to say no. Yeah. Because your your professional requirement is that you do so that's I mean yeah but that's a biggie because if you're actually there in the room with a powerful person consultant say telling you to do something and you're a fairly junior nurse they've been probably uh, and they're educated in a you. different system as well so they yeah, have a different kind so of attitude that's very hard to remember to have foremost in your mind you have your first responsibility is to the patient but that's where it should be, and I hope it will always be that way. But I do worry that people are afraid to speak in case 
they lose their job or something happens to them. Because of course, you know, people want to keep the job. They have a mortgage, they have family yeah. responsibilities. Yeah. It's that has to come for so there's so many there's a lot of conflicting interests. Yeah. Which um make it difficult for people to always act honourably, perhaps. Yeah, I think you know, that's true. That's hard. And I mean, maybe, and I think maybe also um, the nature of the the jobs now as well being more to do with paperwork. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of as you as we've sort of touched on already, mm. is that that kind of encourages you to think about the numbers yes. more than the people. Yes, and that's that that that, and that means that you are more likely to that happens. Obey. I'm afraid yeah. all the time. Um. Even, I mean, as part of my career, I worked as a child protection nurse um, and it was noticeable, you know, at meetings, there'd be an awful lot of discussion about procedures and protocols and da-da-da, but actually talking about the nitty-gritty, the children concerned, didn't happen very often. (laughs) That's a a real shame. So it's uh, at the strategic level, you know, where policy is made there's sometimes a a frightening divide between what goes on at that level and what happens on the ground where people are being looked after yeah you know it's it's, it's a bit scary at this point or mm-hmm. maybe sometimes a little bit before this point but at this point in this conversation yeah i uh, ask my kind of final question which is boring, but sometimes provokes an interesting Don't answer. Tell me it's boring. Well, I'm I'm, tr- I'm trying different ways of doing this because it it it's a weird one and it does okay. it sends people in different directions. Sometimes sometimes it closes them down. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh-huh. Now I'm really worrying you. I like <laughs> like that. Um, <laughs> they are, I ask people, do you have anything that you'd like to plug? To plug? Yeah. See what I mean? It's weird. <laughs> People take Ooh. it in not. People have taken it in lots of different ways, though. Ooh. Am I allowed to plug the Waterboys' latest album? You, you certainly are. <laughs> you you know absolutely. You, yeah. You're allowed to say what you like. Because yes, I'm smitten at the moment. It's uh, what's it called? An an appointment with Mr. Yates. Yes. They're like the poet. Yes. Ah. Absolutely, and a friend introduced it to me. Um. Oh, a week ago, I think. And I was immediately smitten. And it is the most beautiful, beautiful album. I mean, Yeats' poetry is pretty darn good. Yeah. But what they've done with it is just fabulous. So they set it to music, do they? Well, it's... Or have they taken bits of it? I played it to another friend yesterday. She said it puts her in mind of Bob Dylan a bit. (laughs) Because it's sort of sung, spoken, but the rhythms and the music—it's a bit Irish folk yeah, rock. I mean, I mean, it's lovely, and the words are. Well, I love the words. Very boys. faithful to Yeats. And, and when when you told me about it, it's glorious. Yeah. And when you told you me you were playing it, it I will. And I, and I love <laughs> so the big plug. I love the I love the Water Boys myself actually, yeah. and yeah. I think if that's because this is the first album you've heard by them. Yes, it's their most recent I'm, one. But I tell you what, there I'm is a wealth smitten. of stuff. Before well, my okay. favourite song by the Water Boys is called "The Whole of the Moon," and it's a. Oh, beat. I know that one. They're, that's the, oh, that's that their one. hit. That's their that, big hit. Yes, that's their big that hit. That is gorgeous. But it is. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's them. and it's it's a really beautiful song. Mm. I love that song. 
So talking about um, plug for them. Talking about records mm. and music mm. puts me in mind of something that I wanted to mention just because it's funny to mention. And I don't mm. know what you're going to think about mm. me mentioning it. One of the, you know, the family, mm-hmm. which you, you ha- have already, as I've already said in this conversation, become part of the mythology of. One of the things. Honorary member of your of, family, Dave. One of the things you're mytholo- mythologized as doing uh, is that um, there's this anecdote that my dad likes to tell where he is listening to Leonard Cohen. Yes. And you're listening to Leonard Cohen and you both enjoy yes. Leonard Cohen, and as do I. Um, and I think, is he lying on the floor? He might be. And you thought it would be funny to put pepper in his eyes. Um, that's just so far from the truth. What is the truth? What's I can't the truth? remember. You can't remember. <laughs> but it was a. It was a. I think it was probably a fairly drunken point of. Was he being obnoxious? Night. Was he being obnoxious? I bet he I was. I don't think so. But he might have been. He might have said something outrageous. Anyway, I hadn't <laughs> had the pepper. It was not a deliberate act. I never. Ah. De- I never deliberately put pepper in your father's eyes. I was told the whole world for many, many years that I did. But I didn't, honest, I didn't. It was an accident. It was one of those accidental things, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I don't have any, I mean, yes. Well, your dad introduced me to Leonard Cohen at a party. Mm. When I, you know, well, I think before he and your mum got together at a party in, in our flat. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, back two in the morning, you know, as you do. That's I mean, when he, you listen to Leonard Cohen, isn't it's it? Funny because he always. I mean, Dad always says he he doesn't know anything about music and uh, he hasn't got a musical ear and stuff. But he likes music. He likes very specific music. Yeah. I mean, he got he got me into Leonard Cohen. Although, I mean, for a great chunk of my life, Leonard Cohen was I you know. I, I wanted to like it, but mm-hmm. my dad liked it, mm-hmm. and I knew it was his favourite thing. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, I, I kind of resisted Leonard Cohen, and then yeah. I was in my first band. My uh, my friend Alex played me first. First, we take Manhattan. We covered that in my band, um, and I loved that song. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, my contemporaries are now saying that it's cool. I really should, you know, I've got. I, I know all of his songs. I really need to just uh, admit that I like it and explore them. And actually, I mean, Lenny Cohn's probably my my biggest kind of hero. hero. Yeah, he's one of my heroes. As a kind of as big, a poet, if, if I could write as a, a man, song, if I ever write a song oh. half as good as Lenny Cohn's songs, any pretty much any of them, pick one at random. Mm. Well, maybe not the last couple of albums, but anything from mm-hmm. a, a big chunk of his career. Mm. If I write it half as good as that, I will, oh. I will be happy. That will, that's it. There's no point in writing another song. Well, it has been a pleasure, very much a pleasure, <laughs> getting better acquainted with you, Sue. And the last thing that I ask people to do mm-hmm. is to say goodbye to the audience. Oh. Which is always, it kind of provokes that kind of response. Oh, kind There's of people listening. Or yeah. <laughs> well, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> This is the end of this family season. It's not the end of the episodes about my family. There'll be plenty of other conversations with other members of the family. And both my mum and my dad will appear in the future on the show. But now we're moving from the personal and the close to the more distant of people, really, that I know. As we enter a kind of stand-up tragedy season 
or the Edinburgh Festival season, both because Stand Up Tragedy is going up to the Edinburgh Festival this year as part of PBH's Free Fringe. We're going to be performing every night from the 3rd till the 14th of August at 6.30 at the Fiddler's Elbow downstairs for an hour and we're going to be podcasting every day of the festival and I'll be doing Getting Better Acquaintance up there and I'll be releasing tons of Getting Better Acquainted extras and specials and all sorts of things. I have no idea what I'm going to be doing exactly because I'm not there. It's going to be very much a gorilla on the ground creating the audio, sending it out to you guys as it happens. Different from the general way that Getting Better Acquainted works where everything's like, this is from two years ago. This is going to be, this is from yesterday. So that's going to happen. But first, we're going to have a week that focuses on two stand-up tragedy performers one who won't be going up to edinburgh and one who will be joining us up in edinburgh so next week wednesday and friday we've got amazing conversations you should come along if you're in edinburgh to stand-up tragedy it's free and also you should come to getting better acquainted i'm going to be doing shows at the banshee labyrinth at 1.40 on the 13th and 14th of August. See me in conversation live. I'm not sure who I'm going to be talking to. I've got a maybe and a vacancy, which I'm going to be filling in due course. Edinburgh is going to be an experience. Whether it's good or it's bad, who knows? But I will be sharing it with you regardless. So, goodbye family season. Hello, Edinburgh season. Hello, stand-up tragedy season. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website, www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app that you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. Help me grow.